letter of First John. First John. While you're turning there, let me just make a few remarks. And I was thinking this morning, in many ways, I'm often reminded of uh, my early days as a young preacher. I was watching a murder story on TV the other day, one of those, uh, one of those docudramas, or a, a true story, actually. I can't remember the name of the program, but uh, in, in watching this, this story about a murder, in some way or another, he had ended up at one stage, and as the FBI and everybody's searching for him, at a rescue mission, and they showed a picture of the same old rescue mission. It was the one in Springfield, Missouri, where I cut my teeth preaching. That was where I started out. And I about fell out of my chair when I saw a picture of that that old rescue mission. And it was there in that place that the Lord allowed me to lead my very first soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so naturally my mind was just flooded with memories, and uh, as I was uh, thinking about the message for today, I, I was reminded of some other things related to those early years when, you know, as a young preacher, when I thought to myself, you know, whenever you get older and you've been in the ministry a long time, this is going to be great because then you won't need to study, you'll know so much that, that you won't need to study, and you'll have all of these sermons and outlines and everything, and uh, so j- you can just just do it fast, you know. Well, I'm in my 49th year now of preaching, and uh, and I've discovered that it really doesn't get any any easier. And in some ways, in a different way, but in some ways, it's just as difficult today as it was back then. Um, Back then, it was due to my lack of knowledge. I, I didn't know hardly anything whatsoever about the Bible. When I started preaching, I'd only been saved for two months, and uh, and I hadn't been raised in church. I didn't have a foundation like most of you. I, I didn't, you know, know whether Job was Job and Psalms was Palms, and I didn't know whether Noah lived before or after the flood or what. I I, I just didn't know. Uh, and but I, I did the best I could with what I had, which was just a, a basic knowledge of the gospel, and felt a responsibility to tell everybody in, that I could about that. Well, the problem today is that there is so much to preach that it's really difficult sometimes to know exactly what I ought to preach. You know, I could preach a thousand different sermons. And, uh, and every sermon would be true, hopefully, and every sermon would be important, uh, but not necessarily what was needed for the moment. So you see, both the topic and the time is important, and, and some subjects are more important than other subjects. We might as well face that. There's some subjects in the Bible that, although they are helpful and true and what have you, they're not nearly as important as some other subjects in the Bible. So I was just thinking this morning, if if you had to pick just one sermon subject concerning what 
man needs most, what would it be? If I called you up this week and said, I want you to pick, I want you to pick one sermon subject that you feel that man needs most. Well, I'm certain that we'd get a wide variety of answers, no doubt about that. And probably they would, you know, all be good answers. But I can't help but wonder if anyone would mention what I'm going to be preaching about here this morning. And the subject that that I have in mind is the subject of forgiveness. Our need of forgiveness. And let me tell you, if that's not on your top ten list, you need to make another list. Because whenever when you consider all that is involved in you being forgiven... Forgiveness ought to be seen as man's greatest need and God's greatest gift. And so we're going to talk this morning about forgiveness. Look at First John chapter number 2, and I want you just to notice verse number 12 for the moment. He says, I write unto you little children. Now, don't let that mislead you. I'll explain in just a few minutes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. The theme of the Bible has to do with how sinful man can be reconciled to God who is holy. And the forgiveness of our, of our sins is the only thing that can make that happen. So here we are, looked upon as rebels against God, the enemies of God, dead in our trespasses and sins. And the only way to be reconciled to God is for us to be forgiven. So we could not consider any subject that is more important and more exciting than this. And let me tell you, if the thought of forgiveness does not thrill your heart, it's a pretty good indication that you've never experienced forgiveness. I'm talking about forgiveness from God, because once we see the vileness of our sins, once we experience the blessings of being forgiven, it's only natural that we rejoice about it. Now, I want you to notice five things about God's forgiveness and our need of it. First of all, it's primary. You know, what if, what if I asked this morning, what, what do you want God to do for you? What do you want God to do for you? How would you answer that? Well, somebody might say, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sick. I've got a disease. I wish God would heal me. Somebody else might say, well, you know, the thing I want God to do is to put my marriage back together. It's on the rocks. And I, if I could just have one thing, I, I want God to restore my marriage. Uh, somebody else might say, well, I, I, I would ask God to meet my needs. I mean, we're bankrupt. We, just, we don't know where to turn. We don't know what to do. And I'd ask God to help me support my family. And so the list might go on and on and on. Well, let me tell you, a primary interest ought to be for every person that's never trusted Christ, the primary thing ought to be the need of forgiveness. You see, God has a family, and every person who is born again is a part of that family. 
And I want you to notice in verse 13 and verse number 14, and I'm not going to read those, but you might take a glance at them. In verse 13 and 14, John divides the family, his family, into three groups. And each one represents a different degree of our spiritual development. Now, all are in the family, but they're all at different levels of spiritual maturity. In verse 13 and verse 18, John uses a word that's translated little children. And it's used in those verses to describe those who are immature. They've not developed spiritually at this point. But in verse number 12, the particular Greek word that's translated here comes from a a, a different word that simply means born ones. And John is reminding them as he looks at these three different, you know, classes of spiritual development and looks at all of them. It's like John is telling us here in verse number 12 that the one thing they all have in common whether they've been saved for a month or whether they've been saved for a year or whether they've been saved for 30 years, the one thing they all have in common is the fact that they have been forgiven. And no one is a Christian until they've been forgiven. No person has a right relationship with God until they've been forgiven. And because of that, that ought to be our primary interest until a person is Forgiven, the Bible says they're dead in their trespasses and sin. Now, that, that word dead implies that they're separated from God. It doesn't mean you cease to exist. By the way, you never cease to exist. Every person in this world will exist somewhere for all of eternity. God made you that way. So you'll never just, you know, be blown into oblivion and, uh, and, and, and annihilation and exist no more. It, it doesn't work that way. It's either heaven or hell. So we all exist forever. And the Bible says, if you've not been saved, you're dead, separated from God in your trespasses and sins. So uh, you couldn't be in a worse condition than that. I mean, that's worse than divorce. That's worse than cancer. That's worse than heart disease. That's as bad as it gets. So this ought to be of primary interest to every unsaved person in the world. But not only is it of primary interest, it is of personal interest. Notice he says, and I've underlined these words in my Bible, your sins are forgiven you. You know, we talk a lot about God's love for the world, and, and, and that's great. Isn't it wonderful to think about the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But there's something even more precious about thinking that God loves me, and God loves you. God loves us as individuals, not just as a collective society, And so salvation, then, is a personal relationship with God. It's something you have to experience personally. You know, your entire family might profit, let's say, from a government tax break or some other act of legislation out of Washington. Uh, The whole family could benefit from that. But when it comes to the matter of salvation, it's one person at a time. And you have to personally be forgiven to become a part of God's family. So having Christian parents doesn't make you a Christian. 
I've heard so many people say, well, oh boy, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I had one woman literally tell me, yeah, of course I'm a Christian. I was born right here in America. Well, like I've often said, you'd be born on a mountain, but it wouldn't make you a billy goat, would it? I mean, that does, what, what does that have to do with it? You can be born in America, raised in the church. Your daddy can be a preacher and grandpa a deacon and all of those things, but that's not going to help you one bit. You have to be forgiven of yourself. So this is a personal thing. All of the rest of your family might be saved And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are lost without Christ and without hope in this world. Now, the thing that makes forgiveness so precious, not only is it of our primary interest and not only is it a personal thing, but our forgiveness has been purchased. Notice what he says here. He says that your sins have been forgiven you. Notice for his name's sake. And God loves you, but notice you need to realize that forgiveness is never bestowed upon us simply because of God's love. There's a lot of folks got the idea, you know. Well, 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 we're all going to be saved because God loves everyone, and so everybody's going to be saved, but it doesn't work that way. The sacrifice of Christ and that alone is the basis of our forgiveness. And the Bible over and over and over again tells us that we were redeemed, not with silver and gold, but redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God who gave Himself for us. So that's the only place that we can find salvation. We can't earn it by our own labor. You know, we couldn't ever do enough, be good enough, in order to be saved. By the way, how would you ever know that you're saved if your salvation depended upon your works? How would you ever know that you've done enough to satisfy God? We'd have no way to have any assurance of our salvation. Amen? No way. Because how do you know if this is really pleasing to God? By the way, you might please God today and fail Him tomorrow. What then? I'm so glad that our salvation doesn't depend upon what we do or what we try to do. It depends upon what Jesus Christ did. He purchased our salvation. He paid a debt he did not owe. He said, you know, uh, he paid a debt I could not pay. Amen? And that's exactly what he did. And so if you're thinking that I can just be good enough to get to heaven, you're mistaken. A sinner, you say, well, uh, what do we got to do? Con- confess our sins. Some folks got that idea. And, and so, you know, naturally I remember one of the boys I grew up with, and uh, whenever we were teenagers and running around and out drinking all night on Saturday night, and he, he wanted me to drop him off over to the Catholic Church because they were having Mass. And I, I, had, I had no idea even what that even meant or what it was all about. It made no sense to me. But later on, you know, I learned that it's okay to go out on Saturday night, you know, and paint the town red and, you know, and just live it up and get drunker in the skunk. And all you got to do is go in there and confess your sins and there's everything's all right. Now, I'm going to make a statement that's going to shock some of you. But it's the truth. Listen to me. You are not saved. By that, I mean you do not become a Christian by confessing your sins. 
I mean, if you got up here on your face before God and you spent the next hour or two hours or three hours naming all of the sins that you could think of and begging God to forgive you of your sins, that still would not save you. No one is saved by confessing their sins. That's not the road to heaven. John is writing here to Christian people. He's writing to them about something that has already taken place. They have already been forgiven. He's not urging them to confess their sins in order to get forgiveness. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, if, we, if, we, if, if we're not saved by confessing our sins, how do we get saved? Well, just like the Bible says, by, by faith. We're saved by what? Grace through what? Faith. Believing. You say, well, I thought you had to walk down the aisle. Does the Bible say walk down the aisle? It doesn't say that, does it? You say, well, surely you've got to pray, you know, the sinner's prayer or something. Well, you can pray the sinner's prayer, and if you believe with all of your heart, undoubtedly you'll be saved. But it's not the praying that saves you. It's the believing in your heart. The Bible says that Jesus came into His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. You want to be a part of God's family? Here's what you have to do. You have to, by faith, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. There's no other way. So it's not just by, you know, getting under conviction because you realize that you are a sinner, you know, and walking down the aisle and confessing your laundry list of dirty sins. That's not going to get you to heaven. He that believeth on what? The Lord... Jesus Christ shall be saved. If there's no acknowledgement of Him as the Lord of your life, He is not the Savior of your soul. We have to acknowledge that. That doesn't mean that we yield ourselves perfectly to Him as we ought to, but it means that we certainly acknowledge who He is, the rightful Lord of our life. That's why Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? He is Lord. Whether we acknowledge it or not, He is Lord, but we're saved only when we get to that place that we acknowledge who He is and trust what He did. And that is to die on the cross for our sins. Our forgiveness has been purchased. It is personal. It is primary. Not only that, it's precious. Forgiveness is precious. Whenever you think about the word forgive, that word literally means to send away. And we have a perfect picture of that if we went back to the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter number 16. Remember, everything in the Old Testament, everything pertaining to Israel, whether it was the construction of the tabernacle or the temple, the Levitical priesthood, all of the ceremonies, all of the feasts, Everything they did by way of worshiping God had to do with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Every, every piece of furniture in the temple in some way depicted His person or His work. Everything in all of the ceremonies had something to do with what Christ was going to do. 
And there in Leviticus chapter number 16, we find the scapegoat being mentioned here. And the scapegoat was, of course, whenever the priests would, you know, the people confess their sins and the, and, and, and the, 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 the priest would put his hands on the scapegoat and turn that goat. Now remember, remember, there were sacrifices where the animal was killed, but in the scapegoat, which pictures our sins being taken away, they let the, they let the goat just go. Um, it was free to go. And that was a precious picture of us and our sins being cast into the depth of the sea, separated as far as the east is from the west, to be remembered no more. I mean, I can't think of anything more precious than than being forgiven by the Lord. That's better than a healthy body. Because you can have a healthy body and die and spend eternity in hell. Forgiveness is better than that. It's better than an educated mind. It's better than a bulging bank account. It's better than anything that you can think of. I love the way the psalmist put it in Psalms 85 and verse number 2. He says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. And then there's that little word, selah. It means stop, pause, and think about it. And we need to think about that, the blessedness of knowing that our sins have been forgiven. But there's something else this morning that we need to consider in regards to our forgiveness, and that's the practical side of it. There's nothing more practical than being forgiven. It's practical because, number one, it produces hope. Paul said in the book of Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's impossible for us to have real hope in our heart when we are condemned by a guilty conscience. When the Lord forgives us, it enables us to overcome the shame of guilt. And let me tell you, the heaviest burden, the heaviest burden in life is the guilt of sin. The happiest blessing in life is the gift of forgiveness. We overcome that guilt only when we have the assurance that God has forgiven us of our sins. We overcome the guilt, we overcome the shame, and we overcome the fear of death and the dread of judgment. We don't have anything to fear. Amen? Other than the Lord. And we fear Him now only in the sense that we don't want to disappoint Him, but rather we want to please Him. But there's no fear of of judgment to come because all of our sins were judged in the person of Jesus on the cross. I love the way I think it was Spurgeon that put it to someone. Uh, he, he said something in regards to being forgiven and the assurance of it that he wouldn't fear to swing on a cornstalk out over the gaping jaws of hell and sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Amen. For those folks that have the idea, well, I don't think anybody can really know you're going to heaven. You're wrong. You're wrong. Everybody that's going knows they're going. 
Amen. If you're going, you know you're going. Why? Because it produces hope. Whenever you know that you are forgiven, you have hope. And there's no reason for you to fear death. No reason for you to fear judgment. Not only does it produce hope, but it promotes happiness. I, I, I love what Jesus said to the man that had the palsy and the Lord healed him. And he said, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Let me tell you, forgiveness is a perennial fountain of joy. By that, I mean that regardless of what else happens in your life, regardless of how difficult life becomes, regardless of of the mountain of problems that you might face, regardless of what's going on in your life, you can always rejoice in the Lord. And the Bible commands us to do that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We have something to rejoice about. Why? Because our sins have been forgiven. And let me tell you, that's the greatest joy of my life. And I can think about so many things that bring me happiness. So many joys that, uh, that, that I've experienced over the years. And, and I can say with all sincerity, the greatest joy of my life is when I walked out of the Community Baptist Church that Sunday morning knowing that I had been forgiven. I, I, I could not have ever blamed Bev if she said, I'll never forgive you for the things you've done. I couldn't blame her for that. Because I'll tell you right now, there is absolutely no way in this world that I could ever undo. There's no way I could ever, I could ever pay. I could never make all of the wrongs I did right. Nothing I could do. And I wouldn't blame mom and dad or my friends or anybody else had they said, you've been such a bad person, we'll never forgive you. That's why I've often said, you know, the, the, the most impressive verse in the Bible to me is Romans 5, 8, that He loved us in that while we were yet sinners. And every time I, every time I read those words, I, I think of the fact that God loved me not after I became a Christian. He, he loved me while I was still on the bar stool. He loved me while I was still a thief. He loved me even though that, that I was the sinner, the dirty, rotten, vile, filthy sinner that I was. And He loved me just like I was. But, but I wasn't saved, of course, until I acknowledged that love and trusted in the blood. And that was the greatest joy of my life. It felt like I was walking on air, that a thousand-pound burden had been lifted from my shoulders, that every bird was singing Amazing Grace. And I've never been the same since. I've not been perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I'll tell you, I've never been the same. And I'm telling you that forgiveness is the thing that not only produces hope, it's the thing that also promotes happiness in your life. You will never know what real, true happiness is until, first of all, you come to the place that you know that you've been forgiven. You, you, you see, the problem with a, with a lot of folks is the fact that they... They don't understand the gravity of their sins. They don't understand really how bad they are. And they'll never be saved until they get there. The struggle I've gone through 
all week long is was trying to decide what to preach today because there is another message I'm wanting to preach and it has to do with that very thing. And that is understanding the seriousness of sin because most of us don't. We really don't. We think we do, but we really don't. To think about our offense against a holy God. And whenever you finally reach that point in your life that you realize that you're a dirty, rotten, filthy, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, and you cast your soul on the mercy of God and trust the shed blood of Jesus Christ to save you, and the blessed Holy Spirit speaks peace to your heart and assures you that your sins have been forgiven, I'll tell you, it's not until then that you'll know what true happiness is. That's real happiness. That's joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's nothing like it and no other way to receive it other than by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's something else about the practical side of this issue. Not only does it produce hope, not only does it also promote happiness in our life, but it provides us the help that we need. Let me explain that. You and I will never have a right relationship with others until we have experienced God's forgiveness. You see, we are social creatures. God made us that way. It's not good for man to be alone. God made us with a need one for the other. And when everything else has gone wrong, we can still rejoice that we have been forgiven. And not until we know that we've been forgiven will we truly be different because salvation affects us socially as well as spiritually. And if you don't believe that, read this entire letter when you get home because it speaks again and again and again about not only our love for God and God's love for us, but our love for others. In fact, if you look at verse number 11, it says, He that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded him. And he goes on later and says, you know, if if we don't love our brother, you know, how can we really truly claim that we love God? And what I'm saying is the matter of you being forgiven of your sins affects every one of your relationships. It is the key to solving our social problems. And we just go through First John and look at it again and again and again. Why, why do we keep failing? You know, in spite of all of the money that we spend on, on education, for example... In spite of all of the counseling and all of the efforts, why is it that the, that the family as an institution is absolutely falling apart here in America? What's the problem with the relationships? Whenever you see so many, so many single parents, you see so many children, you know, without a, without a daddy to, to raise them. What, what's going on here? It all boils down to this one thing right here, and that is people keep failing in their relationships because their heart isn't right with God. You can't be wrong with God and right with man. And our house is never in order until it is following the Lord's orders. It's only then that we can truly say that our house is in order. If you don't think that the assurance of forgiveness 
makes a difference in a person's life, just ask somebody that has really, truly been forgiven. Not only will they tell you, you'll be able to see the difference in their life. They'll treat other people differently. They'll love others. Why? Because they are aware that the Lord loved them even while they were yet sinners and the Lord forgave them. What right do I have to hate anybody considering the fact that God loves me? What right do I have to mistreat somebody else considering all that God has done for me? I'm telling you, look, it'll make an amazing difference, not just in your marriage. It makes an amazing difference in every single relationship that you have. But everything's going to keep falling apart and nothing's really going to work and you're never going to be happy and you're not even going to have hope until you settled it in your heart that you are truly a born-again child of God and you know that you know that you know that you know that you've been forgiven by the grace of God. To think that a, that a, a God who is holy would would be willing to forgive us. That, that's why we sing Amazing Grace. I run across the... Is actually an old hymn written by someone, a fellow that was born in 1840. I don't know anything about the writer. I don't even know the, the title of the old hymn. But it says, God has forgiven all my sins. Behind his back they are all cast. He'll never call to mind again the sins he vanished in the past. God has forgiven all of my sins, and as a gloomy cloud is blown, my sins are vanished all away. No more will they be seen or known. My sins were like a heavy stone, God cast and buried in the sea. As far as east is from west is thrown, my sins have been removed from me. You want to get rid of that heavy load of sin this morning? I'll tell you, the only way possible is for you to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And I'll tell you, if you're here and you've already been saved, just knowing that you've been forgiven ought to be the, all of the motivation that you need to serve God with all of your heart. What, what more should God have to do? Think about that. Why should anyone have to plead with us to be faithful to the cause of Christ, knowing knowing that He loved us enough that He shed His own blood that we might be saved? And all of the sins that were against us, He said, I forgive. I've, I've sent them away. I'll remember them no more. And I'm telling you what, if God's willing to forget them, we might as well. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to sit around and mope and feel sorry about the person I used to be. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I ever did the sinful things I did. But I can't do anything about that. And let me tell you, if you're here today and you've been saved, you need to stop fretting about the past and condemning yourself. Who who are you? You're not God. Who are you? You say, well, I just can't forgive myself. Who said you're supposed to forgive yourself? You're not God. It's not your business to forgive. 
It's God's business to forgive you. And if He says, I have forgiven you, you need to forget about it. And forget the past and go on living for Him in the future. I love it. He says, John says to all of those believers, little children, the Lord has forgiven you for His name's sake. And He's willing to forgive each and every one here this morning. Have you trusted Him as your Lord and your Savior? If not, you'll never know the joy that comes from knowing Christ. Let's all stand together. Father, how we thank You for the wonderful, exceeding, great, and precious promises that, that You've given to us. And Lord, how we thank You that, that every person here today that's been saved that whenever they think back on the years gone by and they think about how guilty they've been, how sinful they were, that, Lord, that we can look at all of that and to know that it's buried in the depths of the sea, that it's, it's gone, that you'll never throw that up to us. It's gone forever. So help us to focus on the future. But, Lord, I pray this morning for that man or some woman, a boy or girl, and they they don't know anything about your saving grace. They've never trusted Christ as their Savior. It might be that they've been confused. It might be that Satan convinced them that by joining the church or confessing a sin or doing this or doing that, that all would be well. And yet in the, in the depths of their heart, they know it's not. So I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will just enlighten their mind, help them to see the simplicity of the gospel, and that they'll trust Christ as their Lord and their Savior and be born again. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things.